just thank you. Your name is above all names. God, we, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. And Lord, uh, as we come today to learn more about you, to grow closer to you, God, let us get something that we can hold on to. Um, Lord, as we come to celebrate you through the um, breaking of your body and the um, shedding of your blood, Lord, um, we just love you so much. In your precious holy name, amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated. I want to uh, just make you aware of uh, one thing. Um, next week, we begin a, a new sermon series um, entitled uh, Advent. So we'll begin our Advent season next Sunday morning, and hope that you'll be able to jump in and be a part of uh, that sermon series over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, with the beginning of, an, of a new series means that we are coming to the end of this one. I don't know if y'all are like me, it's been a kind of a, it's been a mixed blessing. It really has been. It's been one of those ones where you're grateful for it, but at the same time, it's been not an easy one to swallow. Probably going to get in trouble for saying this one, but it's all right. I heard one time, I heard a, it was a comedian, one of my favorite comedians, he said, everybody knows what a mixed blessing is, right? It's like getting a uh, kidney transplant from a bedwetter. You're just kind of grateful for it at the same time. Now, don't, let's not get into all the science of that, but uh, it still makes for a good joke nonetheless. And I feel like that's kind of the, what's happened with, with the book of James. It's been great. It's a great book. But there are times in which it's been brutal. It's been hard. It's been difficult. And uh, we've managed to, uh, to make it here to the end. And um, James chapter 5, if you have a Bible, is where we, uh, we will finish today. Verses 13 through 20. In 1990, the poet Stanley Kirk Burrell penned the words to a poem called Pray. In this poem, he talks about, about the difficulties of life. He talks about success. He talks about money. He talks about different hardships you endure. And he talks about death. And it goes something like this. That's word. We pray. Pray, pray. We got to pray just to make it today. I said we pray. Pray. Y'all know where I'm going. We've got to pray just to make it today. That's the lyrical genius, better known as MC Hammer. MC Hammer had a song in 1990 called Pray, which was surprising because he'd had a bunch of other hits, and all of a sudden in 1990, you get this song that he comes rolling out and pushing out called Pray, which was obviously different than what had been out there. First of all, it was a rap song. Second of all, um, it had the word pray in it, and he was in telling people to pray. In all these different circumstances that was happening in his life, he's got to pray. We have to pray. Whether it was good or whether it was bad, he talks about making money, making a lot of money, got to pray. Talks about children dying, and he, talk, and he says, we got to pray. And all good, good things and bad things, we must pray. So as we see in these final verses in the book of James, as we wrap this up, is that genuine faith is marked by effective prayer. Genuine faith is marked by effective prayer. So if you have your Bible, James chapter 5, verse 13 through 20, if you're able and would like to join me, stand together as we read. This last section in the book of James. 
James writes, Is anyone among you suffering? Well, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the, sa- in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back or brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, we do thank you uh, for, for this book. And uh, Lord, just how it's transformed and how it has changed us and challenged us. And Lord, as we land the plane today, God, I just pray that you would, your, your spirit would be at work in our hearts. That this just wouldn't be a book that we have gone through to say that we can check it off, that we've, we've preached through the book of James or, or that we've read through it or that we've studied it. Lord, that it would, it would truly transform us and change us. And so, God, that is our prayer this morning, that your Holy Spirit is at work. May we be transformed by your word this morning. Lord, for our good and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, this, in this sermon series, we've, we've, we've seen over and over and over again the kind of the theme is this genuine faith. And, and what does it mean to have genuine faith, to be a true believer? And so today, as we, as we focus on prayer, as James lands at the very end of his book, it's almost as if you, the last thing you say, people will remember. We talk often... Um, uh, as a staff, both, uh, both Eastwood as a whole and then even, even in our staff meetings here about what is, where do we throw announcements in, right? Where do we throw these in? Because do you throw them in at the, the beginning and kind of knock them all out? Or do you put them in the middle like you do a song? We've done that before. We, have, we always go back and forth, but always trying to figure out where to put the announcements there. Because what happens is most of the time, the last thing that you say, people will remember, and so we have to figure out when is the best place for announcements because we don't want to take anything away from worship. You know, so I, I kind of think, well, we don't want to start worship with announcements necessarily because like, it's worship. And we don't want to kind of break it up because it's still worship. And then at the end, you're thinking, well, we've just worshiped. When is the best place to put announcements? Because whatever is said last is most often what people remember. And here we have James, who is at the very end of his book, could have said this any other point. In his book, where does he land? He lands with prayer. One of the things that James is trying to to tell us this morning is that genuine faith prompts us to pray in all circumstances. I'm not saying M.C. Hammer was reading the book of James, but the song and scripture says for us to pray in all circumstances. In verse 13, it comes right out of the gate. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Suffering. 
This is a general term. This isn't necessarily a physical term, although it could have physical things. It could be something, it could be physical, it could be mental, it could be financial, all kinds of different sufferings that people and that we go through. And James is being very generic. He said suffering in general, nothing specific. As we've talked before, we remember that the church, this early church, was, was suffering fierce persecution. Their suffering in the context of church stuff was far different than the suffering that we in the church deal with today. So he says, is anyone among you suffering? Then what does he say? He says, let him pray. Now, when you, if you sit down and you get down to the, to the original language and to the Greek and you see what this says, it's not necessarily saying let him pray. It's, it's an imperative. It's one of these things that James uses often throughout Scripture. It's an imperative that simply says to do this particular thing. Like we've talked before, we tell our kids to go clean your room. That's not like a suggestion. It's an imperative to go do it. And so James here says that if you're suffering, if there's anyone who is suffering, what do you do? Well, let him pray. It's not just let him pray. It's pray. So if you're suffering, Pray. It's a command. It's an imperative. It's also in the present tense, which doesn't mean a whole lot to me um, most of the time, but it also means to, it's, a, it's a, a praying continually type of thing. So we're all going to suffer. Suffering is going to happen. We're going to go through things. What do we do? We pray. We don't just pray one time. We continue to pray. We continue to seek the Lord and continue to seek his guidance in all suffering. And so he tells us in times of suffering we are to pray. He also tells us in times of gladness. The very end of that uh, little verse there, he says, uh, is anyone cheerful? Well, then let him sing praise. One of the things that happens is we're really, really good as, as, as just people, as Christians. I'm, and I'm the, like I have, if I was getting a pin or a little, a little patch of, of, a, of this particular, I don't, I don't know, I guess not really this particular person, but if, if I was to get a patch to talk about my prayer life, this would be my prayer life. It would be the guy who prays but forgets to thank God for answering prayer. I would have that patch. I'd walk around and, you know, probably be happy with my particular patch. But what he says is like, oftentimes we pray. We pray for things, but we don't rejoice and we don't praise him when he has, in fact, answered that prayer. So when we talk about we pray in times of suffering, we also pray in times of gladness. When, we're, when, we're, when things are going well, when things are we're, we're giving him, we're praising him through prayer and thanking him for that answered prayer. It's also an imperative. It's telling us this is what we are to do and what we should do. So it's not only a command to praise in the good times, but it's a reminder to praise God, first and foremost, in the good times as well. And we should exhibit appropriate response when we pray. William Jenkins, William Jenkins said, praise shall conclude that work which prayer began. So often, we, we pray with our kids every, every night together before they go to bed, and it's, we try to, we're probably... 95 percenters uh, most of the time. We do our very best. That's how we end our night together before we send them up to bed or to take showers or whatever it may be. But we pray together. But I guarantee you this, this happens very little at the Smith household, which we need to kind of work on. But very, often, or very little do we ever sit there and go, okay, how, we've been, we pray every night, but how has God answered those prayers? How can we pray when we pray? How can we give praise to what God has done? How has he answered those prayers? Because we have prayed when we've had 
difficult seasons in life? Do we praise him when he has answered those prayers? So we talked about praying in times of suffering, praying when times are going well, praying in gladness, and then we also pray in times of weakness. So we're going to camp out a little bit next few verses. In verse 14, James writes, Is anyone among you sick? This word sick here just simply means weary or weak. doesn't necessarily mean physical sickness. Just weary. You don't have any strength. You're tired. simply means to be weak. How, how often does suffering just wear us down? Whether it is the suffering of others that we're, we're trying to help with and we're trying to walk alongside, we're trying to do, um, to be a, a godly friend to people in difficult times and difficult need, and it just wears us down emotionally. It makes us weak. For some of us, it could be physical needs. We're just going through all kinds of different physical aspects and different maybe illnesses to be weak, to have no strength. But he says, if you are someone, if someone is weak, if someone among you is weak, let him call for the elders of the church. Elders of the church, faithful believers, faithful believers, walking with Jesus. Have these people come and to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Let's talk about that little phrase for a bit. Anointing him with oil. There were a lot of uses for oil in the New Testament. Some of those uses were medicinal. They believed that uh, in the early church, they didn't, they didn't have modern medicine, obviously, and so they used different types of oils to help with, um, with physical ailments, or that it was topical to, to rub oil on, like an ointment to ease pain, or that it was to ingest some to ease stomach problems. So oil was used in a lot of ways. One way for medicine, if you look in Luke chapter 10, you guys will be very familiar with this particular passage. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. Talking about a man who had been beaten and left for dead. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. So there was times in which oil was used for medicine. Also, oil was also used, and this anointing oil was also used hygienically. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, when he's talking and he's giving instructions to believers on how they're, they're, go, they're to go about acting and doing particular disciplines in Scripture, he says, but when you fast, in Matthew chapter 6, when you fast, Anoint your head with oil and wash your face. In Luke chapter 7, Luke writes, Then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. 
So there's all kinds of uses for oil in Scripture. The main thing we need to understand about the anointing of oil is that there's no power in the oil. There's no power in the oil. So when, they, when, they say, when James says to come and have them anoint you with oil and pray for them, it has nothing to do with what the oil does. There's no special oil. You could use olive oil. You could use canola. You can use you know, essential oils. Whatever it is, there's no power in the oil. Maybe avocado, but we'll go a different direction there, coconut. There's no power in the oil. The anointing was simply to set the person who's being prayed for apart. As a reminder that they have been prayed for, I had a friend in high school whose granddad owned a bunch of apartments. And maybe you have um, rental property. I'm sure there's lots of stories if you own rental property. I went over there one day to, to, to visit, and this guy had, um, he, and he was probably in his 60s. He had come out of this room, and he was just shook. Like, you could see his eyes were just, you know, he just didn't know what to say. He was kind of walking and kind of trembling a little bit. And I'd ask him, I said, well, I said are you okay? What's, what's going on? And he goes, oh, we just had a tenant move out. And I was like, oh, really? I said, was it, was, is that a good thing? He's like, oh, praise the Lord. We've been praying him out. We've been praying him out. And I was like, all right. And so he goes, I walked in. He goes, as soon as they left, I walked into that room to get it ready for the, or into this, uh, to, the, to the apartment to get it ready for the next tenant to come in. And on the, in the bedroom wall, on one of the walls, he had painted it black and he'd put a pentagram on it. And he had been worshiping Satan in, his, in, this, uh, in this apartment. Ever since he'd been there, he'd been worshiping Satan in this apartment. And he goes, so you know what I did? I said, what'd you do? And he goes, I walked around and I, I anointed that entire place with oil. And I prayed for it. And sure enough, when you walk around in there, you saw on the doorpost, he'd put his, he dipped his thumb in oil. There was oil every place on that place, or on the, on the wall. Every, every place had an oil spot as he went and he prayed for it. Is there any power in that oil? No, there's no power in that oil. But it was a reminder, and it was a reminder for him as he went through that place and he prayed. He just, he just dropped him oil and said, this has been prayed for by Jesus. That was the point that James here is making. So the oil had zero healing power. Uh, power. How do we know this? Well, it's because of what James says next. He says in verse 15, and the prayer of faith, this prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Now, this particular word sick here is a different word that was used in verse 14. The word here that they used means weary from consistent work. You're worn out. You're tired from all that is going on around you. And what does he say? And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and what? And the Lord will raise him up. There's no power in the oil. The power comes from the Lord. And James is very clear about that. If you're struggling, if you're discouraged, if you're suffering in any way, shape, or form, Get people who are older in faith around you. Have them pray for you to encourage you. And that prayer of faith will save the one who is worn out. We'll encourage them, revive them, refresh them. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. What does it mean to be healed? This particular context, it means to, to heal or to save, save one from the consequences of sin. It's our moral disease, not a physical disease. He's talking about a moral disease. What's the moral disease? That we are all born sinners. And so he says that you will be healed, you'll be saved from the consequences of sin. It can also be translated as restored. You'll be restored or more directly, to restore from sin and its effects. So therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be restored. The prayer of a righteous person, he ends this verse, the prayer of a righteous person. It's one who is made right with God. Referring back to the elders in verse 14. He is made right with God. If, you, if somebody comes alongside you who is right with the Lord, with these elders, this person, the prayer of that, of that person has great power as it is working. If you just jump back just a little bit to verse 15, it can be translated this way. It says, and the prayer of faith will deliver the one who is weary, and the Lord will raise him up. And if you go and you, you look at the entire verse, uh, that little section there, verse uh, uh, 14 through 16, it can read like this. Is anyone among you weak in faith? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith that will deliver the weary, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, for example, um, if, if he is weak as a result of sin or, or his sin has caused him, to this, this suffering, he will be forgiven. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be restored. So what is James, is he talking about? What is he talking about when he talks about healing? He's saying that we pray to God for healing. That it's not in any oil. You can anoint this whole room, we could have it drop from the ceiling. We're all anointed with some type of oil, and it's not going to do any good because if the Lord is not in it, it is worthless. It is worthless. It's a worthless effort. So is James negating healing? The healing that we oftentimes think about when we think about healing. No, he's not. I think healing gets a bad name and this could be my last Sunday, so I'm going to go ahead and get this out here as we talk about this. Um, I think God is incredibly powerful and can do all things, and he does all things whenever God chooses to do all things. If he chooses to heal somebody, praise the Lord. If he chooses to heal somebody in this life, praise the Lord. If he chooses to wait till the next life, praise the Lord. Can God heal? Absolutely. Is that what James is talking about right now? No, it is not. He's talking about our spiritual health, our spiritual healing. I think healing, oh, I shouldn't say I, I think, I, be, I believe that, that God heals. 
and we should pray for healing, and we should rejoice when people are healed. I think what we see on, on TV when you're bored out of your mind and you're flipping through your channels and you're just going to see what's on one of these Christian shows and we see how healing takes place, I think that is foolish and unwise, and there will be account for that. They'll be held accountable for that. However, I believe that God heals. And you guys have had stories. I'm sure you've had stories. Well, I stood right out here outside that, that, that door right there um, about three years ago and listened to a man tell, uh, tell one of our uh, interim pastors at the time about what God had done in his life. had been praying for healing physically for years, for years. And he was sitting in his chair in his living room. And as he prayed for, for that God would heal his body of this particular disease, Something came over him, and he, couldn't fit, he, could, he can't even explain it. couldn't even utter the words to figure out what happened, but something came over him, and he knew that he'd been healed. And he went to the doctors, and sure enough, he'd been healed. It happens. I had two conversations this week with some people who had been serving uh, overseas. Just this week, in the same area, same place. And about Christians, come, uh, people coming come to faith, uh, and, and these, these lost people, pagan people, Hindus coming to faith in Jesus. And you want to know how they're coming to faith in Jesus? It's because people that they know have been healed. Not by some oil they've been put on their head or on their hand, but by the power of God. And so when you ask these people how they came to know faith, was say, listen, my brother was sick and he was really ill. He was going to die. And these Christians came in and they prayed for him and he was healed. In my mind, it boggles my mind. Like, I'm, I'm pretty much a skeptic 98% of the time. That's how I live my world. I'm kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But when you hear from two different sources, two different days, like, how can you not but sit there and go, this is incredible. What, what else can God do to make his name famous throughout all of the earth? Because God still heals. But James is talking about a spiritual healing. It's a healing that no doctor can do. It's a healing in which only God can do. James tells us that in every circumstance of our lives, we are commanded to seek the Lord in prayer. And how do we do that? We do that within a community of believers. He says, when you, if you're suffering, grab an elder. Have them come pray for you. It's a community. How is it that we have people come pray for us? We have to be honest and open with people. We have to have these relationships built to where we can sit there and say, listen, I need you to come pray for me. I have this going on in my life. I'm suffering and struggling here. Please come pray for me. It's called Christian community and accountability. However, most of us, we're extremely hesitant to go to a community of believers especially when we're struggling in our faith. I can have you pray for me if I'm struggling with a physical ailment. But if I'm struggling in the faith, it's difficult. But loving, biblical community is there, is here to come around, to hold us accountable, to lift us up in prayer, and drawing us back to God. I meet with three guys every Tuesday morning. We meet at the Motor City um, Every Tuesday, uh, what a blessing! And uh, 
Love getting, love getting together with these guys. And the first time that we got together on week one, I sat there and I looked every single one of them in the eye and I said, listen, what this, what this group is going to be about, this group is going to be about, we're going to read the Bible together. We're going to, to learn how to study the Bible together, to see how the whole Bible fits into this one major narrative, but there's all these little meta-narratives that come in. We're, all these things we're going to talk about, but we're going to pray together. And one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to hold each other accountable to one another. And I looked them in the eye and I said, you have every single right from this moment on to hold me accountable for what it is that I'm doing. And I'm not doing. Because we need Christian community. We need it. Because we're all going to be wayward and we all need to be drawn back to God. We need that community. So genuine faith prompts us to pray in all circumstances. We've been through that. Second thing that genuine faith prompts us to learn um, uh, to do is to learn to pray fervently. Genuine faith prompts us to learn to pray fervently. This is the example that James gives. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. I think it's really, really interesting here that James says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Like ours. Now, there's all kinds of stories about Elijah in Scripture, and they're great. Feel free to go back, read 1 Kings. You'll get to him. Like, a lot of fun stories, a lot of crazy stories, stories that only God can do. Because James here sits there and says, he was a man with a nature like our own. In other words, he wasn't any different than us. He was us. It was you and I. No different. He sought the Lord, and he prayed for the Lord. Prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered his prayer. And when he said when he prayed that it would not rain for three and a half years, and it didn't rain. If you want to check this out, 1 Kings 17 and 18. And then he prays, and the heavens open and brings rain. He was no different than us. He was no different than us. But what did he do that was different? He prayed fervently. What does that mean? It means passionately, with conviction. How many of y'all pray when you, when, you, when you sit down at lunch here in a second? Lord, we thank you for the day. We thank you for church. We thank you for this food that you provided for us. Blessed to our bodies. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's it. Where's the passion in that? Where's the conviction in our prayers? Fervent prayer is honest and it's raw. And it's with an attitude of dependence. Remember, that's a theme that runs all throughout Scripture. Uh, sorry, all throughout James is the theme of dependence. Everything we do, we have to depend on the Lord. How is it that we're going to transform what our mouths say? Well, it's, we've got to depend on the Lord to do that. So it's an attitude of dependence. Realizing that any request we make to the Lord is completely out of our control. Psalm 62, 8 says this, Trust in him at all times, O people. What is fervent prayer? It's this, pour out your heart before him. Pour, I got gotcha. you. I will confirm that it's Psalm 62.8. But we pour our, our heart before him. How many times have you, you've been and you've been burdened and you sit there and you just pray or are you just tossing them up? I mean, have you sat down there and have you been, have you been burdened and your prayers have been full of passion and conviction and dependence upon the Lord? Are we just tossing out prayers like candy at a parade? John Piper gives us some steps here 
that if you want to know what fervent prayer is, it is this. It's, it's, there's, there's a few things here. First is it's continually confess your need to the Lord. It, it is, it's I need you. You sit there and you pray, Lord, I need you. I cannot do any of this on my own. The second thing is, is to cry out in petition, which is a help me. The third thing is that we lay hold of God's promises and trust and praise for his ability to fulfill them. You are powerful. And I depend on you to take care of this. And then when he helps you, we go on our face and we say, thank you. Is any of you cheerful? Give him praise. So we read at the beginning of the passage this morning. This is the rhythm and the breath of the Christian life. This is what we are to do. We pray and then we praise. We pray and then we praise. We pray and then we praise. James concludes this book with a call to action. In verse 19, he says, My brothers, if any of you or if anyone among you wanders from the truth, this, this refers to action that draws you away from God. Are you involved in activities and things that aren't godly, that are, that are pulling you away from him rather than driving you to him? He said that's the idea of what, what, what he's talking about here with this wanders from the truth. And someone brings him back. So if you've got a buddy who's wandering from the truth and somebody brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul. Brings back this idea of accountability and confession, as we saw in verse 14 through 16 within the, the, the community of faith. And the word save here just simply, just, just simply means to rescue, to rescue. So a sin, if, you, if you bring back a sinner from his wandering, it will save, will rescue his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. It simply means that within the community of faith, when a person in sin is brought back into a right relationship with God, bringing them back, it proves that they're not lost, but they are indeed saved, because the one who stays in this particular state of continually wandering from the truth, if they do this for their entire life, it proves, and James shows this, that they never were in fact truly saved. If you have walked the aisle or in vacation Bible school when you were six and you prayed a prayer and yet nothing in your life has changed and you're continually wandering from the truth, you are in fact not a believer. That's harsh. That's what he's telling us. It's harsh. It's not me. Don't hate me. You can hate me. It's fine. Don't hate me. That's James. He's saying, like, you're not it. You're not a believer if you are continually wandering from the truth. So we're, we're to read these verses and we realize that we should pray this way and that we should seek the prayers of the church in our life. And James tells us that, that this type of effective and powerful prayer is within reach for each of us because it was for Elijah as it is for us. And we're to pray for one another. We don't simply talk about uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ when discussed about what it is that they're going through. No, it's not that at all. We, we, we instead pray for them. We bring them alongside us, and we hold them accountable, and we encourage them in Christian community. This is to be the practice that continually marks the life of believers and the church. 
Believer, this type of powerful and effective prayer, this Elijah type of prayer is available. And it's available to us. Maybe you're here this morning as a, as a Christian and you need to confess your sin. Maybe you realize that you're not a righteous person, one who is right with God in the moment. You need to confess your sin. And be made right with God. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you about this. Maybe you need to, maybe you need to have just a conversation. Pray for me. I'm struggling with, with life and I'm suffering in these areas. Please pray for me. I need some encouragement. Maybe Maybe that's this morning for you, and, and we're going to have that time here shortly for you to do that. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. If you notice at the end of verse 20, James says that the one who remains in sin is destined for death, literally death of your soul. And this doesn't have to be. You can come to Christ today to turn from your sin and trust him, and he will save you. Here in just a few minutes, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes. We're going to sing it, uh, some worship. We're going to just have a, a time of worship. We're going to respond this morning to what God has done through his word, and then we're going we're to observe the Lord's Supper together. The Bible clearly teaches that before eating and drinking, the believer must properly examine himself is there any unconfessed sin in your life if so may this time be a response to the word this morning and maybe respond with self-reflection and repentance if you're here today and you do not know jesus maybe today is the day of your salvation let's pray together